Hi, my name's Dr Kate Donoghue and I've spent the last 25 years working with children and adolescents who have mental health problems. Young Balanced Minds is a new podcast where I invite young people who have a range of different difficulties to share their experiences of trying a therapy called Cognitive Behaviour Therapy, also known as CBT. As a clinical psychologist and a CBT therapist, I'm really interested in getting feedback from young people who have a range of different emotional and psychological difficulties. I'm particularly interested in their personal journey through CBT, how they decided to try CBT in the first place, and what that experience was like, what was helpful, what was challenging, and on reflection what they may have learned about themselves, about others, or their view of the world. Today we're focusing on specific phobias. A phobia is defined as a persistent fear of an object or situation. If an individual is faced with a feared object or situation, it leads to immediate anxiety and often panic. The intensity of the fear tends to be related to how close the person is to the source of fear and often the appraisals the person has about their ability to escape. Most young people I've worked with who have had a specific phobia recognise that their fear is excessive or unreasonable, but they'll avoid at all costs the thing that they're terrified of, or if they can't avoid it, then they endure it, but with absolute terror and dread. There are a wide range of specific phobias, including fears of animals or insects, blood and injections, natural environmental conditions such as the wind um, or lightning, and fears of particular situations such as using a lift, flying. Mild phobias are common and most people, unless the feared situation or object is encountered on a regular basis, don't seek help. For others, though, where the source of fear is regularly encountered, the phobia can have a significant impact on day-to-day life. And that's the case for my current guest, Madeline, who has kindly agreed to share her experiences of living with a phobia and her particular journey through CBT. So welcome, Madeline. Thank you. As a starter, I wondered if you could say a little about the type of phobia that you struggle with? Uh, yeah, so I struggle with emetophobia, which is a fear of vomiting or vomit. Uh, and it can also lead to uh, things like agoraphobia, so fear of going out or a fear of eating, uh, because they all link into the root phobia. So it sounds as if that's a, a kind of phobia that, I mean, a fear of going out, a fear of eating, these are things that are very much linked with the fear of vomiting. And I imagine yeah. they they must have a huge impact on your everyday life. Yeah, definitely. It affects, it has affected in the past pretty much every part of my existence day to day. Um, it's It affected me more when I was younger. So I'm 16 now and it all started when I was about 11 uh, because I got ill and it because I was feeling sick during being ill, uh, it started the phobia of actually being sick. And when I was younger, I struggled to stay in school or stay in lessons. And some mornings I couldn't go to school at all. Uh, I couldn't go on coaches or trips in long cars because my sister gets car sick. So I struggled with that. 
Uh, I couldn't eat properly at school because eating made me feel nauseous and I couldn't eat at people's houses and I couldn't go on sleepovers. Uh, so I stayed at home a lot because it was the only place where I felt safe and like people weren't watching me or where I didn't feel embarrassed if I had a panic attack because I had a lot of quite severe panic attacks. And it still impacts my life uh, in that I some days I do still struggle to go to school uh, or find staying lessons difficult. And I very occasionally still get panic attacks. But when I was younger and more kind of last year or two years ago, it definitely affected me more. And I would, the main thing that happened was that it made me stay at home a lot uh, because if I stayed at home, it meant I could control what I was eating. If I felt sick, I could go and see my parents and ask for reassurance. I wasn't on my own. I had a support circle, um, so I felt safe. Yeah, so it did affect me a lot. And difficulties engaging in maybe the kind of things that a lot of 11 to 16-year-olds would take for granted, like yeah. going to school, going to lessons, just eating of food at mealtimes, sleepovers and mm. and school trips. Uh, so a, a huge, a huge impact actually on yeah. on your life. What made you then decide to try CBT? I tried CBT this time around because I'd had it in year seven. And remember, even though it was about five years ago, I remember it being the thing that helped me start to get better. And also because it was my thought, CBT helps challenge thought patterns and change the way you think about the thing that scares you, uh, which is what I needed because it's an, a fear of vomiting is irrational because vomiting is not scary overall. Um, it's just unpleasant. And my brain had built it up to be this Armageddon horrific thing that could happen to me. Uh, so CBT, I was hoping, would help me lessen the fear and change the way that I thought about it. Uh, and I started it because I got to a point just before lockdown where I was struggling to go into school again uh, and it was affecting me every day. And I felt like that was the time that I needed to seek some help. So would you say that actually things had actually reached a point where you knew that if you continued without getting help and support, it it wasn't going to go away by itself and potentially no, yeah. it could actually get get worse over time? Yeah, I didn't want to get back to the point where I was when I was 11 or 12, where I was struggling to go into school every day and having panic attacks every day, because that was really, really horrible. And I could feel myself starting to go down that route. So I thought I needed to get some help. Yeah. Well, well done you. It's a, a brave move. So you started CBT for a second time. So initially when you were 11, mm. and then more recently, how old were you more recently when you started I was 15, yeah, so I'm 16 now. Okay. And when you were going through the CBT, I guess, you know, you mentioned stuff to do with your thinking related to your mm. phobia. I'm interested in what particular strategies you found you found helpful. Mm. I found um, uh, there was a technique I learned, uh, which was the four Cs, and it was catch, check, challenge, change. And it was about... Catch. It was about trying to prevent panic attacks and prevent the anxiety reaching breaking point. So you catch the thoughts. So like it could be a thought like, oh, I have a stomach ache. I might be sick. And you recognise that it's anxiety and that's all it is. Uh, and you check for thinking traps like catastrophizing, which that one would have been going straight from something minor to something huge. And then you 
challenge the thought. So you say, is this is could this really happen? What's the probability of this happening? Is there another way this could turn out? Uh, and then you change the thoughts. You think of something more positive or you think I can do this. I can deal with this. I've done it before. I will be fine. So that was really helpful. And uh, a breathing technique that I learned called soothing rhythmic breathing, which was really helpful because I found breathing techniques really difficult in the past because when I had panic attacks, I'd get very intense nausea. So taking a deep breath just made it horrible, made it worse. Um, but this one was more helpful because it didn't focus so much on counting for this number, holding it for this number, letting out for this number. Um, you just breathe in until you feel full and then hold it for a second and then breathe out for six. And it's more about distracting yourself from whatever's causing the anxiety by focusing uh, and grounding yourself. Um, so that really helped. And then, yeah, distraction also has always helped a lot since I was um, younger because it completely takes, if you do distraction in the right way, it completely takes your mind off the anxiety stimulus. So I learned that it, physical exercise is really helpful, uh, mental exercise. So re, uh, reading or not just watching something passively, but actively doing something with your mind. Um, both of those were really, really helpful. And then the one that was most helpful was exposure therapy which is staying in the situation that causes the anxiety so for me it was mainly staying in lessons even if I felt sick so if I started feeling sick I wouldn't just leave the room or go and find the nurse I would stay in the lesson uh, even if I felt really really sick until because I knew it was anxiety and it went away and the next time I did it it was easier and the next and the next so that was definitely the most helpful and most effective. What an amazing toolbox of, of strategies that you've developed. You've developed strategies for managing your, your physical sensations. I'm really pleased that you mentioned the breathing because I think, as you say, there are so many different types of deep breathing exercises. Yeah. And it's so important, isn't it, to find the one that works for you? Mm. And I guess as a distraction, but also I think there's there's something about that particular breathing technique that really helps to bring the physiological arousal down as well yeah. and just has that calming effect. And then your other strategies you mentioned, I mean, managing the psychological symptoms through distraction, but so pleased you mentioned the, the four Cs yeah. as well. And I, I think our thinking tends to be so automatic, doesn't it? And we're often mm. not aware of how it shapes our feelings and our behaviour. And I think yeah. the four C's and the way you describe it is a very good example of how we can increase our awareness mm. and actually have have some control over our thinking. Yeah, because it also makes you recognise that your anxiety or your OCD or your depression and the thoughts that those things cause are not your natural thinking or are not you because it's like it's hijacked your brain and if you use those four C's to check it, the checking element of it is checking that it's not a real thought. It's a thought caused by anxiety or a phobia or obsessive compulsive disorder. It's not you, which was really helpful. Fantastic. Yeah, so really separating yourself out yeah. from, from the thought and mm -hmm. seeing it more objectively with that distance. Yeah. Really effective strategies. That sounds great. Now, you mentioned that one of the most effective strategies was the, was the actual exposure yeah. as well. I was wondering about that, but also maybe the other strategies. What was it like putting those strategies into practice? Because I guess it's one thing 
understanding them and knowing them and learning about them. And then there's something about that knowing-doing gap and how you actually yeah. trans- translate your understanding into practice. So what was that like? Some parts of it were difficult and some parts of it were much easier than I expected. So the breathing part was difficult at first, but then when I realised you have to practice the breathing technique when you're not feeling anxious, because it means that when you are feeling anxious, it comes more naturally. Um, so that took a bit of practice, but was fine in the end. Um, the difficult part was the first when you have to expose yourself to the worry. So when I had to stay in the lesson, and although the first time or the first few times it was really, really difficult because I felt sick and my natural instinct was to just leave leave the lesson. Um, I didn't and I stayed and it got better time by time after I did that first time. So the first hurdle was the hardest. But it was, yeah, parts of it were really difficult, but it was overall better than I expected. I think that's a very common experience that you mentioned Mm. there, how those first few exposures can be really very challenging because you're exposing yourself to something that does feel very unpleasant and the most natural thing in the world and often the thing that we all do is to want to avoid the anxiety and yet when we do stay in the situation and realise that we, we can manage it and the anxiety does come down... What a great experience. Mm. And you were saying that that was the most effective strategy for you as well. Yes, because it dealt directly with, well, if not the actual phobia of actually being sick, because that's very difficult to deal with using exposure. But it it was the best because it dealt directly with um, some of the behavioural problems that the anxiety caused. So it forced me to not escape from the situation, which is the, was the main problem, yeah. Bearing that in mind, what, what do you think of the idea that it's very difficult to overcome anxiety mm. unless you actually experience anxiety? I think it's a difficult one because if you have something like emetophobia, you can't just make yourself sick to deal with it because um, that's just not a good idea. Um, but so you have to deal with until you actually naturally are sick, you have to deal with all of the other things that it causes. So experiencing the anxiety is the best way to deal with it and exposing yourself to it, but that's not always possible. So you have to find ways around that and do your best um, and just keep going and keep getting better little by little. Mm. I imagine, though, that you were exposing yourself quite a lot, not necessarily to to being sick, sounds to me as if there were lots of triggers around though that triggered the thoughts that you might be sick you could be sick yeah so it was I'd stay basically I tried to stay in the lunch hall when I was eating food and I tried to eat like at least something every lunchtime even if it made me feel a bit sick afterwards Uh, and I stayed in my lessons uh, even if I felt sick and I just waited for it to pass so it, it was difficult but it it was fine in the end and I still I still do get anxious and I still do have to stay in situations that I don't want to but each time I do it it gets easier the next time you're really emphasizing the importance of practice there and consistency (laughs) which which I which I love and the fact that you're still needing to practice these skills Mm. in a very consistent way yeah so how is your phobia now 
much better than it was. I think it's still there and I don't think it will ever completely go, which is when people say, oh, I'm going to therapy, I'm going to fix my anxiety. It's not really something that you can fix completely um, always. But I found that when I realised that it wasn't something I was going to get rid of, it was just something that I was going to learn to manage. Um, that made me get, that was kind of a kickstarter for getting better because it made me focus more on techniques to manage it rather than trying my best to completely get rid of it. Um, so it is better. And I'm now living as though, mostly as though I didn't have a phobia, which was my aim. Um, but there is still, I still do find it difficult some of the time and I can't, I'd still struggle. I don't like sleepovers anyway, but I'd struggle to go on a sleepover or stay away from home. And I do have a lot of anxiety still related to coaches um, and and just all, any kind of transport that could potentially make me ill or somebody else near me ill. But overall, it is much, much better because I've learned the techniques to manage it. So do you have any tips or advice for other young people, um, any children, teenagers or young adults who may be struggling with a phobia? It may not be the same phobia as yourself, mm -hmm. but a phobia of some sort. What, what advice would you have for them? That that you have to remember that it's not your defining characteristic even if it's all you can think about because if you if you focus it's completely every day on this one object or experience like being sick it can be the only thing you think about um and you can forget that actually you're a whole person who has all of these other interests and all of these other interesting things about you um that aren't in any way related to your mental health issue um so you need you need to separate yourself from it and not um, think of it as the thing that completely defines you and the main thing about you because it's not part of your personality. It's just a, something that you've had to deal with. And also to try and confront your phobia because it's the thing that helps the most, even though it's the scariest thing. It's That's the way that you will get better, is confronting it because you realise that it's irrational and it's not actually scary because that's the whole point of a phobia is that it's not it's not scary it is something that you just need to keep doing until the fear lessens but also remembering that it will all be okay and that you just have to remember the bigger picture um and just think that when you look back on this in 10 years time or something you will probably be so much better you may even have forgotten about it um and that you'll get even if it will take a bit longer than expected uh you it will get better and you will be okay um, you just have to put some work in. And then there was one more tip that I forgot to mention earlier, which is a bit smaller. But if you're in a situation that you find difficult or stressful, take it five minutes at a time. So if you look at the clock and you think, OK, in five minutes time, I can leave the situation. And you just get these through those five minutes. And if you've got to them and you're still kind of OK, you can think, OK, next five minutes, next five minutes. And you just plan what you're going to do in the next five minutes. And breaking it down like that helps a lot because um, it's kind of living in the present, which is helpful for anxiety because it breaks it down into more manageable chunks rather than thinking, oh my God, I've got to get through an hour of a lesson now without throwing up or something. You just think, no, I just have to get through five minutes. And that really, really helped. Yeah. That is such great advice. Really good advice. Thank you so much, Madeline, for sharing your story today and for your very helpful tips. Okay. This podcast is called Young Balanced Minds and it's just one in a series of podcasts covering a lot of the mental health problems experienced by many children and young people. I've put some links in the show notes to different resources. 
It's important to say, though, that if you're listening to this and you feel you're really struggling, please reach out and get the support you need from friends, family, or, if necessary, from professionals. We do hope that you listen to the next podcast in a couple of weeks' time. And if you have any ideas for future episodes, please let me know by dropping me an email at info at bristolcbtclinic.co.uk. Finally, if you've enjoyed listening to Young Balanced Minds, please like us on Spotify, iTunes or wherever you may listen to your podcasts. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Stay safe, take care and stay well. Mm-hmm.